We are now just 38 days from the NFL draft, 38 days for Marcus Moser to watch as much film as imaginable to sink into all the pro days going on. We got Alabama that's going on today. We got Najee Harris driving nine hours to just show up and, and be there with his teammates. Marcus, we've got a big one coming up for me later in the week with Zach Wilson. So Ooh. as we gear into draft fives here on the game day pod, where, where's your head at mentally? I'm not worried about the prospects. I'm worried about you. Uh, I, I mean, I'm a little bit worried for my health because I just been looking at the TV basically for, you know, I don't know, nonstop. We had college basketball over the weekend. We had pro days. We've got free agency is going on. So I just can never leave my phone because of moves. It's a, it's a busy time of year, but we absolutely love it. Yeah, we do. We've got Masters coming up. We've got a great UFC card, Marcus, that I yeah. want to talk to you about Some later. Heavyweight we'll, fights we'll, coming up. Yeah, oh, yeah. we got we got fun. We, we got good ones, and uh, we are focusing today on the NFC South with Trevor Sikama, who covers the box uh, for the Draft Network. Network. We will talk to him as we get going here. A reminder, guys, you can check out the Game Day Podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Go to thegameday.com and do some price shopping. See what our affiliates have to offer. So, uh, yeah, Marcus, this is a big week as we kick into the draft before we kind of sink into our fill in the blank. Are there any in particular pro days that have caught your eye? Uh, as we're recording this, Rondell Moore, who I've, I've loved and covered at Purdue. I'm a big fan of his. I remember walking into a gym in Louisville uh, when he was a senior in high school and watching him squat close to 600 pounds. No joke. And I remember talking to his coach and, and, and his trainer at the time thinking like, this dude's going to be nuts. Right. And of course, yeah, it's cool to see yeah. Rondell blow up like he did and hopefully he stays healthy. So is there a pro day that jumps out to you or one you're going to be watching this week? Yeah, I mean, I've been paying attention to the Alabama pro day that was on Tuesday, you know, watching Patrick Sertan uh, Jr., a potential pick for the Cowboys uh, at number 10. Obviously, I'm, I'm scouting all these potential cornerbacks. Uh, but the one that I'm really interested in, Adam, it's coming up, I believe, later this week is Florida's pro day because we get to see Kyle Pitts run a 40 yard dash. He's going to be absurdly fast for a guy that's 250 pounds. Uh, that's the one that I am the most excited about. Yeah. We had the video of him doing like what the four, four, six was that the time in like, insane, the, insane. I, I just like, I mean, they, I don't know if they've ever made an athlete quite like that, frankly. So, I mean, it's again, some, some Megatron vibes from Kyle Pitts, which is certainly saying something. So we will get draft heavy and crazy here over the weeks ahead, but we've got some, um, some free agent thing, uh, things to clear up. We've got some television deals to clear up. So we transition, of course, to fill in the blanks. And Marcus, I'm looking forward to this one. I, I like you have on social media, um, your perspective on some of the under, radar, under the radar signings, I think is always interesting. So this is a perfect one to start. The most under the radar free agency signing thus far is... Corey Lindsay. Now, if I said the name Corey to Lindsay to an average football fan, they wouldn't know if he was an all-pro center or your banker down the street. But Corey Lindsay got signed by the Los uh, Angeles Chargers, and he is going to help solidify that offensive line. And we saw flashes of Justin Herbert last year be a superstar, despite some terrible offensive line play. Now that they brought in Lindsay, they signed Matt Filer away from the Steelers uh, to play left guard. That offensive line is starting to come together. And I think there's some Josh Allen-like potential here for Justin Ooh. Herbert. If they can protect him up front, the sky is the limit for Herbert in Los Angeles. All right, I'm going to go a little uh, 
probably deeper down because I'm with you. That was a great signing. And in terms of what they need, that's smart. How about Deshaun Jackson to the Rams? I just Ooh, yeah. love the idea of the fit. You get Stafford in. They already have a lot of really good weapons and he's not going to catch 70 balls, but I think they can put him in some really cool positions where he can make, um, make the defenses completely have to change how they cover them. Right. That one yes. just to me, yes. kind of, if he's healthy, I still think that dude can play. I don't know if you have any feelings on that. I just love the potential fit there with quarterback, coach, and receiver. Uh, Matt Stafford, 16 to one to win the NFL MVP. Oh, oh yeah. You look at all those weapons <laughs> around him with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and now Deshaun Jackson. I, I, I like Matt Stafford a little bit as a sleeper guy this year. Yeah. I just think it's a, I don't know, man. I, I would love to see him. Just, just like track down deep balls, a good run of it one more time in a system that should be conducive with him. Can, um, can I tell you something absolutely hilarious yeah. about Deshaun Jackson? You can go to YouTube right now and you can watch a video of all of his 60 yard touchdowns in the NFL. <laughs> and the video is eight and a half minutes long. So just <laughs> Deshaun Jackson's unbelievable. I, I, I love watching him play. So I think he's going to be a fantastic fit in Los Angeles. Speaking of fantastic fits, or maybe not, we'll find out. Kenny Galladay makes the Giants blank watchable because for the most part that Giants team was, <laughs> low bar yeah that's very low but I think the NFC East is going to be more competitive than we saw last year please I hope that's true uh because last year was a disaster now that they've got Kenny Galladay and Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph and hopefully Saquon Barkley back at least resembles an NFL offense and Daniel Jones can make any kind of uh, you know leap in year three I think they have a chance to be at least somewhat fun, uh, but it, it at least gives them a, a reliable outside weapon in this offense. You know, I was going to say better, which is really a boring answer, but he's clearly good. They clearly needed him. Like it's a huge fit because they, they, they had to give, uh, get some weapons there. Mm -hmm. I'm still interested to see how good he is. Like I know he's good and the money speaks to, I think what NFL execs think of him, but, in the hierarchy of wide receivers, and I'm not asking you to break into your rankings here. We'll do that in your weekly videos. But, like, how how good do you think he is? Because you get the stink of Detroit off of you. Not that this situation isn't is necessarily no, no. great, but how good do you think he could be in, a, in the right system with a quarterback that, look, Danny Dimes, I think he's going to get him the ball. So the Giants paid him as if he's a top five receiver in yes. the NFL. I believe he's making the third most money at receiver – He's not that player, but is he somebody who can flirt with top 15 status? I think so. Uh, he's very valuable down the field. Will Daniel Jones throw him those high leverage targets in the deep portions of the field? We'll see. But I do think this is the best receiver that the Giants have had since Odell Beckham. I realized the, the stink of Detroit. That's probably not very nice. I don't like yeah, well, it. Mean, it is true. <laughs> like, I'm not taking it back. I just. You know, that's rough. And it's not going to get any better, uh, which is also rough. Uh, this is a wide receiver heavy edition of fill in the blanks. Juju Smith-Schuster taking a pay cut was blank. Not, uh, I mean, predictable. I mean, not surprising. I, I don't think the NFL loves Juju Smith-Schuster as much as Twitter does or the general NFL fan. I know he's very popular on TikTok and on social media, but – for the most part, he is a slot receiver who really does his best work as a number two. Uh, we saw him with Antonio Brown be dynamic, but when he's forced into a bigger role, not so great. And we saw the offers out there, Kansas City offering him $8 million a year, which is 
half of what Sammy Watkins got in free agency a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's crazy. Baltimore, Baltimore offering him not all that much more money. I, I think this is the best situation for Juju. Maybe he gets a long-term deal from Pittsburgh now into the season. I just don't think it's all that surprising the NFL didn't value him as much as everybody else. I think it was smart. Um, what is he, 24? Is he 25? I mean, he's young. And so I'm not surprised, Marcus, but I am surprised because we saw youth. I know that was the Jets strategy, of course, get a guy like Carl Lawson, invest in some of the younger free mm-hmm. agents where you could give them some more guaranteed money. So I, I agree with you that I think he needs to separate himself from the nonsense. I don't think that's helped him. I will say though, you go back a couple of years where you looked at the potential trajectory for this guy. It looked like he was a budding star, future top 10 wide receiver. He looked like he was going to be the guy and it just has not translated for whatever reason. Um, I I think the quarterback has parts to do that. Right. We, We saw no Ben Roethlisberger in 2019. The version of Roethlisberger we saw last year was a shell of himself. So if eventually Pittsburgh can get a different quarterback in there that can maybe, you know, deepen his, you know, average depth of target, I think that'll help. But it is, it's been a while since we've seen that dynamic playmaker, uh, Adam. You know what though? Like I look at like Corey Davis, right. Who struggled and then had a good year and got paid. And I think Juju, if you're Juju, that's kind of the deal that you look at. Like, yes. Hey, I'm back on this. If I get a thousand yards and, you know, calm things down, just the nonsensical stuff, which is mostly fun and not necessarily yeah, yeah. all that, you know, there's nothing in there that really is you know, harmless, right? It is. It's harmless. But yep. if he has that kind of year, he's probably going to get that kind of deal. And he's still young enough where who knows, like he could really unlock a lot of potential this year. So I think he's betting on himself. I still think the talent is there. I, I think it's a wise decision. I think it's actually one of those rare ones where, you know, in the grand scheme, the pay cut, it's probably not going to be that much to him if he performs how he thinks he can perform. Um, What's not happening from a pay cut standpoint, Marcus, is TV deals for the NFL. Mm. So I ask you, we look at the billions of dollars being injected into the NFL across all these networks that, you know, are competitive, but very happy to work together to share Super Bowls, which I find fascinating. So NFL TV money is blank. Hilarious, because there was a couple years ago where people were trying to say that the NFL is dying. I remember Mark Cuban coming out and vocalizing his displeasure with the league. And to see the money that's getting poured into this uh, into the NFL is just hilarious. I think uh, we're going to see the salary cap maybe double in the next five years. The gambling money that's going to come in uh, over the next half decade oh, yes. is going to increase it as well. Uh, it's just It's really funny to me. It's um, it's not a surprise. I mean, it, it, look, uh, streaming, the Netflixification of television right now, um, live sports is where it's at, and specifically football has just dominated this. You know, March Madness, of course, is great, but the football delivers this throughout the fall and winter. I mean, it is always there. I, I, I'm with you on uh, the NFL; it's going away. Um, you 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 know, you had the anthem situation. You've had all these yeah. situations that seem to be this this boiling point and yet these these networks with seemingly endless resources are just almost you know trying to double their deal you look at the money being added it's massive not quite doubling but huge huge increases despite everything that's been the past year plus right so um you bring up a great point too gambling Mm. it's going to be all over the place it's going to be all over the place. You see what the UFC is doing, getting the DraftKings clock. It's fantastic. It fantastic. is fantastic. And, and I think with the NFL, 
they're going to integrate so much more of that into the actual product itself that the value is just going to continue to go up. It's going to, it, they're, they're going to tie those things so close together five years from now. So, so how long before we have a broadcaster in the booth that is just specializes in gambling and they can tell the viewers about the updated odds and all that kind of stuff. Are we five years away from that? 10 I, years away? I'd say less. I think less? those barriers that used to exist, what, what used to be the acute, adorable Brett Musburger kind of you know, Al Michaels needling at these things. It's way more open now. And, oh, yeah. and you've got these networks, you know, committing to full on shows um, that are there. So I think as this becomes legalized everywhere, television, I mean, the NFL, it's just this enormous cash cow that the, the TV represents. And I think the streaming stuff is really interesting too. where people are going. The NFL is doing a pretty good job of pursuing not just traditional cable television deals. It's going to be all over the place. Um, yeah, man. Enormous, enormous dollars there. No doubt about it. All right. So NFC South, uh, we talked about Super Bowl deals. We had a team in this division uh, that won the Super Bowl, of course, mm. and wouldn't be surprised if they're there again. So I like to do this when we start these kickoffs. It's just your, the Marcus Mosier brief overview. You've got... It's kind of a mess, Marcus. That's my assessment of it, is it's kind of a mess. You've got, I think, a team that is in this really excellent window that can win another Super Bowl. And then you've got three teams that are in various points of these like self-reflections of who they are and what they want to be. So how do you look at the NFC South? I think it's the division, the division with the best playmakers, right? And I think for that reason alone, it's very entertaining. We've got Michael Thomas and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore. I mean, it's just <laughs> loaded with uh, with guys that are fun to watch. And if we can get a couple of these teams with better quarterback situations, these games are going to be just phenomenal to watch. We can see weekly games with, you know, 45 to 40 scoring with the, you know, the offensive talent. So I'm looking at Carolina. I'm looking to see what the Saints do at quarterback. If these teams can figure it out, it's going to be bombs away. If they can figure it out is the big question. Um, let's kick it right off the bat with the Carolina Panthers. Now they have a special place in my heart because they are trying to college football fi the NFL. Matt Rule, mm -hmm. who I liked quite a bit, did an awesome job. Temple at Baylor, the Joe Brady phenomenon, of course, working with Joe Burrow and giving making him the offensive coordinator. The guy didn't like to recruit. Well, now he doesn't have to recruit, although he needs to get his hands on a young quarterback. So mm -hmm. as we look into biggest team need, um, Marcus, that is it for me. I think they've got a lot of team needs, but I do think for them to unlock the potential, the staff they've, they've built relies on having a young athletic quarterback, and they simply do not have that on their roster right now. Yeah, and we can talk about the the over-under on wins for this team. It's at five, and I think who they draft yes. probably in a trade-up is really going to impact how I feel about them, right? If I they go agree. up and get a Trey Lance, I think this is a team that's probably going to be a little rough around the edges, right? You know, because I think Lance is going to need some time to develop. But if they go up to, let's say, three, and they get Justin Fields, okay, now this team has some legit, you know, sleeper potential because the talent is there on offense. And I think Fields can get them to eight and nine wins. Uh, I'm really interested to see what they do at quarterback. Okay. So um, O-line is another area too. I think these yes. are tied with whoever they draft and however they go. Uh, you still have a, a running back that I think could be a dynamic. And I guess I'd ask you, you know, McCaffrey, of course, Christian McCaffrey battled injuries last year. That really hurts that they want to do. What does a full year of him mean to them? And, and you know, Marcus, it's kind of interesting because – 
we're at a time and place where we're trying to reassess constantly how much the running back means. Sure. Um, this dude's different, I, I think, in every sense. And I think having him healthy is huge. But what kind of impact on the overall record does his health have, in your opinion, if he is healthy, hopefully next year? I'm not sure it has an impact on the record because we even saw Mike Davis perform well in his absence last year. So I'm not changing my you know expected win totals on this team with a full 16 games of Christian McCaffrey. What I do think it does is bring up the floor, right? If Christian McCaffrey plays 16 games, they're going to be competitive in 13, 14 of these games just because he is such a dynamic receiver. He can create big plays in the run game. Uh, again, doesn't change it too much. I just think it makes them a more consistent team on a week-to-week basis. I do think when you talk about drafting a quarterback, this is an unbelievable asset. So maybe less yes. on the record and more on the development and Look, man, they've got some great weapons outside. Robbie Anderson was, uh, yeah. was painful to watch him go from the Jets. I mean, they've got really good options at wide receiver. And if you have a guy like Fields and McCaffrey, that is dynamic. That is fun. Um, I think that could be really, really potent. You, you brought up the win totals of five. Um, you, you have a wait-and-see approach. I guess I have to pin you down and say what five right now. I guess it's really a matter of where you're leaning of who they're going to draft. Would you go over under that? I think I would go over Carolina was in a bunch of close games last year and it's, and I love Teddy Bridgewater and it's just unfortunate that he's just not that guy yep. to close out those games. So if they can win, I don't know, a third of those games that they lost in the last minute or two, I'm uh, thinking a game against like Kansas city that they were close in. I think this is a six, seven, maybe even an eight win team. I, I don't think they're going to go under. So I'm, I'm taking the over here. I, I like over too. I think a lot of the games in the division are going to be very winnable as well. I mean, that's a big part of this. I do think fields would be a perfect fit for them. I'd love to see what he could do with Brady. Frankly, that would be a really interesting guy to help unlock fields full potential. Um, I think they're going to be better. I, I don't love them as a playoff team though. Do you have them in the playoffs? No, no. I think they're still a year away. Okay. Transitioning to Atlanta. This is an enigma team. Marcus, I think this is like a really hard team to figure. Uh, you've got Matt Ryan and his beefy contract. You've got aging players. You've got a defense that was frankly an atrocity. Mock mm-hmm. drafts point to quarterback being the need. But I ask you, what is their biggest team need now? Defensive playmakers. You look at this team and they have Deion Jones and yeah, that's about it. I mean, they need talent on all three levels of defense. Uh, I'm not sure this is a great draft for them sitting at number four. I don't see the game-changing defensive guy that we've seen in other drafts, right? There's no Miles Garrett or Bosa brother or Chase Young, and that's really unfortunate because that's exactly the type of player this Atlanta defense needs. I think they're going to maybe trade back, and we'll talk to Trevor about this later, Uh, but this is a deeper draft at defense. It just doesn't have the elite top-end talent. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, this was the worst pass defense in the NFL. You could blame the D-line. You could blame the secondary. You'd probably be right. Yeah, You have to fix yeah. one or the other and eventually both. And I think that's a problem. So I, I do find the obsession with quarterback pretty interesting. And I guess transition to this, um, you know, what do you do with Matt Ryan? Is this window closed in your eyes? Do you, you get rid of – I mean, you got you got salary cap implementation. you got all sorts of stuff to think yeah. about with Matt Ryan beyond the player. So how do you treat him uh, going forward? 
I think you just have to ride it out for at least the next two years. I'm, I'm curious to see what Arthur Smith's offense looks like with Matt Ryan, because Matt Ryan can do a lot of the play action stuff. Uh, he's a fantastic passer, uh, you know, on the middle of the field where Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley thrive. I think you just wait and see. You, you move back, you get more picks, you build up that defense. And if he's completely washed after this year, you go up and make a run at a quarterback for next year. I don't think it's closed either. Like I, I think you can win with him. I don't I think he's going to take over games anymore. But frankly, I mean, he's had so little help. You've seen his performance in games where they've lost. And they were in a lot of close games last year. Like, if I'm them, I am really investing in that defense and giving this a go. You still yes. have great playmakers. you got to do something at running back. I, I'm kind of with you. I don't necessarily think this is – I think this is a – if you're going to draft a quarterback, and obviously you don't plan necessarily for this, but this feels like a year or two early, frankly, than yeah, when I, you should. I feel like Atlanta was the snowball team last year where they started off 0-1, and then they yes. had the, the embarrassing loss to the Cowboys in week two where they were up 24 points in the second half and lost. They had a double-digit lead against the Bears in the, in the fourth quarter in week three, and they lost. It started out 0-3, and, and things just kind of got worse from there. Yes. We know – I still think this is a really talented team. Julio Jones got hurt as well. If they're healthy, they have a ton of talent on offense. If the defense can be average, I think this is a playoff team. I'm not sure they're going to get there, but I, I think this is a, a team that's very likely to double the win total from last year. Uh, okay. So then over under four wins, you are going yep. over. Yep. Me too. Uh, I think it's a clear uh, over actually. Yeah. I think seven, eight wins at the very least. I think this is a team Listen, I'll say it. I think this is the second best team in the NFC South. And I, I think it's really because of the quarterback. I trust, I trust Matt Ryan more than I trust Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill and whoever Carolina drafts. Uh, I, I think by default, Atlanta's number two here. So uh, playoffs then, um, are they sniffing mm. around or are you still, are you not ready to go that far? Cause I'm, that's kind of where I am. Like if yeah. they're in that, um, and this is a division that could beat itself up with the exception of maybe the favorite, so are you going that far? We, we rate, pull the reins in just slightly. I think they're going to be like the best eight seed in NFL history, <laughs> right? Like, I think they're just outside of that wild card contention. It wouldn't shock me at all, Adam, if they ended up as the six or seven seed. But I, I think the defense is just a little too far away at this point. Yeah, they'd have to strike gold, like, yep. you know, get a Parsons who all of a sudden is a terror and just all over the place. I, I just don't think you can do it in one year. Um, okay, well, now I'm, I'm curious because uh, the next team, I think you've, you've tipped your hand a little bit <laughs> at, at where you're going, which is New Orleans. And I, I just don't know what to make of this franchise. They've had to rework. Uh, they've, they've had a lot of cuts, restructuring. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is sort of – you know, a really difficult NFL cap situation. You do obviously have some talent, especially on that offensive side and on the defensive side, which is pretty good sure. last year. But your biggest team need here, of course, we're going to obsess over who's going to be the quarterback. Do you go there or do you go elsewhere? This team needs a lot right now. They basically gutted their entire roster just to get underneath the cap, but they don't have a quarterback. I know people are excited about Jameis Winston didn't play really at all last year. When we last saw him, he was throwing 30 interceptions. I, they need a quarterback, but I don't know if they're in a position to grab one. And that kind of puts them in no man's land. And I just, I don't love this roster as much as, as good as it was last year. It looked like at the end of the season, it was an aging older roster. They really didn't do anything in the free agency to get younger. Uh, I, I just don't love this team, Adam. 
this is the formula for eventually gutting this thing, in my opinion. It's a really tough situation. You're good enough in a lot of places. You've got mm-hmm. some great players that are in places. We talked about McCaffrey, right? You've got Alvin Kamara, who is great. But Alvin Kamara is not going to like single-handedly win you more football games, right? That's just not what he does. He's, he, you've got Michael Thomas, who had a really weird year last year, who yeah. is great. But if you can't throw him the ball, like what, what – so I – I don't feel very good about this. I'd say the big, I, I'd say you have to roll with Jameis and see what happens. Maybe, you know, back the front seven, continue to go on defense, which they've got some holes like at linebacker and other places. Cause I don't think you're going to get your quarterback where they're drafting unless they get really aggressive. I I'm yeah. I don't think this team has a, this is not a team all of a sudden like looking up as you look at, you know, Sean Payton, obviously Breeze coming out. I think this is a concern area. And of course, you know, Marcus getting back to the quarterback. We've talked about this endlessly. I feel like over the last couple of months, uh, Taysom or Jameis, I think we're pretty much at this point, both on team Jameis. Like, let's see what you have. No. Yeah. Cause it's not Taysom Hill, right? We know that's not going to be a thing. Even we saw last year in the little bit of time that he was given the chance to start, um, it, he did not look good against the Broncos and it got worse and worse every week that he played because that's what happens to young quarterbacks. Defenses catch up to you. And if you can't win through the air consistently, you're just not never going to be a great team. So it's got to be Jameis. We know the flaws of Jameis, but at least that gives him a chance at competent quarterback play. But even if it is Jameis, I think this is probably an eight win team. I, I, I just don't see a playoff team here. All right, so you're going under 12 wins. I'm going under 12 wins, and you are selling on the playoffs. I am – oh, boy. Peyton's I'm such get, a good Kate coach that he could pretty easily, I think, get this team into the playoffs. But I think we're both pretty confident this isn't a real contender, right? No, exactly. Yeah, like if you're saying, will they make the playoffs, you know, they've, they're doing that. I mean, that's kind of the problem with the Saints. They've done that yep. a lot. And the problem is they had this really amazing window. They had some really odd losses – they had some games that they they shouldn't have lost beyond mm-hmm. just weird football things happening, and it feels like that window is closed. So I yes. I'm kind of with you. I think I would sell, and I I think ultimately if there's there is something in Jameis that if they can unlock, I think actually can be pretty interesting. So I'm just not may, willing to tie myself to it right now. So to compare the Saints to like another team, we feel the same about the Saints as we do like the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Now, I would right? say like, that's a great comparison and actually a very unique situation because aging weird quarterback situation Mm -hmm. right you've got talent I think that's a a pretty good parallel that's going to get a lot of love this is absolutely a team that I'm going to short in futures there is no doubt about it and can I add one more thing in here because they won the division last year they will also be playing a first place schedule so even though Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl last year they're going to have a harder schedule than the Buccaneers uh just another reason to fade uh New Orleans yeah, I, I completely agree. And you mentioned it, Tampa Bay, Super Bowl champs. Um, I look up this down this roster. It is filled with both age, mm. uh, experience, and young superstars. I mean, this is <clears> – we're going to focus on Brady, but I, I love the makeup of this. Uh, you know, Marcus, I think there's a couple of ways that you could go with Team Need. We'll talk to Trevor about this, but where do you start? Yeah, I think they just need to continue to add to the defense. Uh, we saw them, their defensive line absolutely dominate in the Super Bowl. The Dominican Sioux is getting a little bit older. Via Vea has have had some injury problems. Just beef up that defensive line. Get a third pass rusher in there to, to spell Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. 
not a lot of holes in this roster, so they can maybe just pick the best player available in, in the draft and maybe pick up some more veteran, veterans in free agency. Just a very, very well-built roster. Yeah, I mean, the formula for them to terrorize teams is to do what they did in the playoffs, which is get after really good quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. So keep adding to the defensive line. I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, you've got injuries, you've got other things. I mean, that is kind of the DNA. And, I, you know, they've obviously got, like, phenomenal pieces at every level of that defense. But I still think you can always beep up the defensive line. I do think running back is interesting as well. What will they do with Leonard Fournette? Um, they didn't seem to love Keyshawn Vaughn. Last year, who they drafted, he had fumbling issues. You're picking in a position where you could draft a running back. You could wait to the next round to run. I, I think that's a, a place they will invest in. I'm just not sure if it would be the first round. On the, on the other hand, Marcus, they could do kind of the Chiefs formula last year, which is like, hey, we got all these pieces. We'll draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Everyone will be mm -hmm. mad on the internet about it that we got him. It wouldn't shock me to see them do something similar with Travis Etienne or Najee Harris. No, it wouldn't shock me, but I think they're more likely to go out and sign like a James White, who Tom Brady really loves. Let him be the passing down back, and maybe you let Ronald Jones be the first and second down back. I think that's probably more likely than them drafting a running back early. But you never know. If, if, if Tom Brady you know, stands on the table for Travis Etienne or Najee Harris, it's going to be awfully hard to tell him no. I, I also, I mean, Leonard Fournette looked phenomenal. Playoff Lenny. I, I mean, he looked phenomenal. That mm -hmm. was the guy we expected to see, you know, without having the cap numbers in front of me, I don't know what the market of, of, of playoff Lenny will command, but three million. Guy, yeah. Three. I mean, that guy seemed to find it. That would be a really yeah. interesting option given how important um, he was toward the end yeah. of that season. I wonder if they'd consider that uh, and then maybe get somebody else through the draft. So uh, there it is. Uh, so, Let's wrap this thing up before we get to Trevor. Uh, you are ranking it then, and I think you have a slight twist on what would probably normally be um, like the typical ranking of the NFC South yeah. at this point. Yeah, for me, it's Tampa Bay, and then there's a big drop-off. And then I've got Atlanta and then the Saints. I, I, think, I think those are a little bit interchangeable, and then the Panthers – pretty clearly the fourth best team in this division. Yeah, Carolina would be the fourth for me. I mean, Tampa is clearly the one I'd probably lean – New Orleans slightly, um, maybe. But again, that's interesting. And I don't know if if Carolina finds their quarterback. I think that that you could make a they case. They surprise two, us. Yeah, I, I think they could make a case that uh, two, three, four are interchangeable. What's not interchangeable for us is Tampa, the Super Bowl uh, champ, still our favorite. All right, we're going to welcome in Trevor Sikama who has covered the Bucks. Uh, interested to get his perspective here. Where they go with the draft? How do they um, kind of? Uh, try to run this thing back with the Super Bowl. Uh, also a writer of the Draft Network, so we'll get his thoughts on some of the prospects when it comes to the NFC South. Very excited to welcome to the pod now Trevor Sikama. He's covered the Tampa Bay Bucks. He's a senior NFL writer for the Draft Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. Trevor, welcome in, man. How are you? I am doing great. Appreciate you guys having me. Very excited. So, so it is. Uh, Yes, we're looking at a division I think is ripe with intrigue, of course, Super Bowl champs. And let's just start, I, I think, as like a collective view of the NFC South. There's a ton of movement here, right? You've got Breeze retiring. You've got Atlanta, Carolina kind of, I don't know, I think in sort of a reboot mode, even if they're not ready to admit it, although sure. we'll see if they're ready to admit it. So as you try to size up this division, what jumps out to you? 
I mean, the NFC South is never short of entertainment one way or the other. You've, had, you've either got one team in the cellar that's trying to climb their way back up and that brings intrigue or it's normally one or two teams that are going to be competing for the division title and hopefully a deep playoff run, they would think. And so I, I don't think that this year is any different. In Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I, I'm not going to say run it back because Bruce Arians would kill me. The going for two thing, you know, repeating. I think they brought a lot of their guys back. And so they're absolutely primed for another deep playoff run. The Saints, probably the most intriguing team, right? Because they were so good for the last three or four years. They had Super Bowl aspirations. Now the main component of that, Drew Brees, is gone. What remains? You know, we've we've had the debates you know, who was it? Was it Bill Belichick or was it Tom Brady? Well, now I think we're going to find out a lot of, hey, was it Sean Payton or was it Drew Brees? And I think that that's going to maybe not as much hostility there as there was with Belichick and Brady, but we're going to figure that out with the Saints. Panthers are very intriguing just because Matt Rule, he's been known to be a great rebuilder back in his time at Temple and then Baylor. So now he's trying to do it in the NFL. We're probably going to see them get pretty aggressive to go get a quarterback in the NFL draft. And then, of course, Atlanta. Everything that's going on with it with a talented offense that they have, brand-new head coach. How's it all going to work out going from a defensive head coach to an offensive head coach? There's a lot of intrigue, top to bottom. It's not Super Bowl caliber intrigue, top to bottom. But no matter what, I think you always got to pay attention to the NFC South. So, Trevor, before we jumped on the show, I looked at the Bucks' odds to win their division, and they're only minus 159, which I think is absolutely insane. Uh, what other team do you think is the most likely to compete with the Buccaneers? Because, frankly, I'm not sure there's anybody close, but you tell me, what, which team are you the most nervous about as a lifelong Bucks fan? I, I think I would still have to say the Saints. I mean, like, it's either the Saints or the Falcons because it depends what you trust more. Do you trust – Matt Ryan, like the entrenched quarterback who's been there before, knows the division really well, knows the opponent, still has Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, still has that offense humming. Or do you trust the better roster? Because even without Drew Brees, I mean, the Saints are going to boast one of the most talented offensive lines in the league. Even without uh, Sheldon Rankins and Malcolm Brown, they still have a really good defensive line. They've got good defensive players. They have good offensive weapons. So, I mean, like, it's all still there for the Saints minus quarterback so really I think it comes down to how much you trust Jameis Winston which the word trust in Jameis Winston has just <laughs> been very buzzworthy throughout his entire NFL career maybe even going back to college and so you know it's, it really kind of goes on that I would say that it's either the Falcons or the Saints but you know your point Marcus I don't think either of those teams are very close to Tampa Bay and I, I think that it should kind of be a runaway here of, of Tampa as much as it can be for a competitive division a runaway for probably who's going to win it in uh, in 2021 so Trevor the Bucks have drafted I'm like in love these these last couple of draft classes like I, I'm an Iowa guy too so Werfs of course jumps okay. out I uh, mean White looks like truly the, one of the best players in all of football I guess mm -hmm. at this point and so here they are Back of the first, uh, they've got a they filled a lot of needs already just by bringing back their guys. And, and you brought up kind of running it back, which is sort of a, a wise strategy. And yet, you know, it's still a team with some age and some needs. So as you size up uh, what looks like a, a Super Bowl roster again, where would you focus maybe that on or or even in the tail end of free agency or bringing some people in? Yeah, so I think that a lot of people who don't follow the Buccaneers super closely were probably just thinking like, okay, they can't bring back everybody, right? Levante David, Chris Godwin, Shaq Barrett, and Dominic and Sue, Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette, like all of these guys were hitting free agency and could possibly leave. Well, oh, I forgot Rob Gronkowski's name in there as well. How could I forget <laughs> Rob Gronkowski? So you have all of these names, and so far, 
all of them that they have negotiated with are back. They're still negotiating with Dominican Sue. I'm not so sure that Leonard Fournette is going to come back, and then maybe Antonio Brown will if he just wants to take a major discounted price. But the Bucks were in good salary cap health. And so that's what allowed them to do that. And so all of that to give context to, I think the mock drafts that we've been reading and people on the outside have been like, okay, they're just simply going to go after the position that they don't get. And I've kind of been trying to tell people over the last couple of months, they're probably going to bring them all back. They had the ability to do it. And so this position now really becomes best player available for their situation. And so I think that there's two different routes that they could go. I think that they could either look at their running back room and maybe Leonard Fournette's not back, or even if you were interested in Leonard Fournette, maybe you think you could upgrade there. Maybe you don't fully trust Ronald Jones because I don't think that they fully trusted Ronald Jones last year. You could go with Javante Williams, a Najee Harris, a Travis Etienne, and just get a really nice running back upgrade to say, hey, you know, this is the guy who's going to play the most for us. Our team is already built out. We have our starters already, except maybe running back. And so if you want to take a luxury pick on a running back at the back end of the first round that make that might make sense for a team that is already Super Bowl caliber as we could see basically across the board if not that then I think that they might invest in a premium position either on the offensive or defensive line I would probably tell you defensive line is more likely an interior defensive lineman an edge rusher but heck maybe they go offensive line as well they get a guy in the farm system they they let him play as a swing tackle if anybody happens to get hurt inside and out and then maybe it could be a starter down the road those are the two visions i see for them as targets for how they could approach the back end of the first round so a lot of the reasons why they've been able to bring back all these guys is because of the cap situation as you mentioned but it's because of the way they've been drafting correct i mean they've they've had a pretty good track record over the last what four or five drafts uh, how would you rate the Buccaneers as, you know, one of the best drafting teams in the NFL? I mean, it's crazy, right? Because, you know, Jason Light, his first year as GM for the Buccaneers, it was 2015. That was the, um, that was the Jameis Winston season, I believe, or maybe it was the year before. It was either 2014 or 2015. But either way, he was a couple of drafts in, and then he had that 2016 draft. And the 2016 draft was Vernon Hargraves, Noah Spence, Roberto Aguayo with their first three picks and everybody was like, okay, maybe this guy doesn't really know what he's doing. And you know, that was, that was a draft that certainly he would like to forget, but man, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, I mean, it's just been home runs one after the other. And so Jason, from my time covering the team closely, he has always been very good at being willing to admit a mistake whether it's a free agent or a draft position or maybe an area of the team that he thought was further along or whatever it is, he has always been willing to say, hey, you know what? I messed up here. Let's learn. Let's not do it again. Let's do something different. And I really feel like his really good drafts over the last couple of years have been a product of that attitude. They have been able to be very self-reflective of what they do, how they messed up early in his tenure and how strong they are now. And so there's no doubt about it. A championship team, has to have the perfect combination of veterans and then also younger players who are contributing. And there's no doubt about it. You look across that roster and you see two rookies making a big difference in Antoine Winfield Jr. and, and Tristan Wirfs. And you see two of the oldest guys on the team, you know, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, Levante David, all those guys still there as well. Jason Pierre-Paul is a guy who they brought in as well. And so, man, it was just a perfect combination. And there's no doubt you got to be able to knock it out of the park with the draft. So I want to jump to Carolina because I know we talked a little bit about the Saints being a threat. I think Carolina is probably the most interesting team in the top 10 because there's maybe a just a, an assumption, a natural assumption. Are they going to jump to three? 
Are they going to stand pat, wait for their guy? I, I just think they're a team that can make some stuff happen. And of course, the connection to Miami seems natural. So, you know, Trevor, what do you think about, well, to me too, it's not just, you know, where do they go? But it's also an interesting direction for this franchise. There, there's, there are some playmakers, obviously, there on offense. Mm-hmm. They have some major needs, obviously. Quarterback, of course, being one of them. So uh, I like to put you in the GM role and say, what do you do? And then maybe what do you expect to happen? I mean, if I'm in the GM seat, I'm doing what I think they're actually doing behind the scenes. And I'm basically doing whatever I need to do to get up to get my quarterback in the future. I mean, I, I, lo- I love Teddy. I mean, he was my QB one when he was coming out. I got a soft spot in my heart for Teddy Bridgewater, but he just never manifested into the franchise quarterback, the long-term guy. I think that obviously he is good enough to be a starter in the NFL, but he's kind of a stopgap player at this point. And I think that the Panthers knew that when they signed him to that three-year contract they've just kind of accelerated their timeline a little bit here where it's like, okay, we had him last year. Now we have a chance to potentially go up and get a franchise quarterback to take over for him. Let's do it. And I think that, you know, when you look at potentially number three for Miami is probably the big one. I would tell you that the Atlanta Falcons are also a prime team to trade back, but obviously Atlanta is not going to do any favors with Carolina because they play them twice a year. So they're not about to give them a quarterback that they really like there. So really that number three overall pick probably becomes the most coveted one. And I'm sure those conversations have already happened and been happening for a long time between Matt rule, David Tepper, Scott Bitter, or those guys who are in charge of what they do with the draft board, because that's what I would do. I'd go up and get a quarterback back. If I can a Trey Lance, a Justin Fields, something like that. And if they're staying at nine, I have a hard time, or I'm sorry, if they're staying at eight, I have a hard time believing that one of those four quarterbacks is going to make it there. They could stand to get a middle linebacker upgrade. Sure. They could also stand to get a really nice CB one player. They could use a tight end, but again, you know, I'm just not so sure any of those positions trump what needs to be an all in attempt to go get one of those best quarterbacks. So I think that that's what you're going to see Carolina do, but maybe those are a couple of positions that they also prioritize if they can't get up there. All right, Trevor, I want to ask you about Atlanta because I think they made one of the biggest moves of the offseason that I don't think anybody is really talking about. They restructured Matt Ryan's contract. So in 2022, he'll have a cap number of $48 million, and then in 2023, a cap number of $43.6 million at the age of 38. To me, that would signal that they're not drafting a quarterback, and I thought this team was in a perfect you know, position to draft one at number four. Tell us what is Atlanta going to do because I, I'm just fascinated with the, you know their pick inside the top five. Yeah, it's it, it's been a very interesting back and forth between maybe draft fans or Falcons fans who wish they could make a decision for their team that would be better in the long term, which is potentially drafting a quarterback at number four overall, and more the reality that was actually there because you got to think about this too. Coaches are there to, of course, win football games, keep their job, keep the cat, keep the checks coming, right? This is Arthur Smith's first time as a head coach. And I just, Mm -hmm. for as much as I liked the idea of Atlanta getting a quarterback, I had a hard time convincing myself that Arthur Smith, as a first-time head coach, with his first top five selection that he's going to have, was going to pick a player that wasn't going to play for him for the first two years. I I just didn't see that being the case. And I know Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, their GM, they were both at Trey Lance's pro day. They were taking a good hard look at him. And I think that that was, they've got to do that. Right. That was certainly their due diligence there. But I agree with you with the restructuring of Matt Ryan's contract. They cleared up a little bit of cap here. 
believe his cap went down to right under 27 million for this mm-hmm. season. And like you said, north of 40, the next two years that follow Oof. to me, that says that they're going to be committed to Matt Ryan. And you know what? To me, that's fine. Like if you, I think the offense is good. You've got the playmakers around you. Yeah. You got to upgrade the offensive line a little bit, maybe get an extra tight end in there or two, but Matt Ryan is not the problem for this team. He is far from the problem. And so I think that Arthur Smith's just going to try to build the best roster he can. And I actually don't think that picking at number four overall is the best way to do that. I think this is a team that is prime to trade down. You got to think about this too. Terry Fontenot, where does he come from? Comes from New Orleans. What does New Orleans do in the draft? They get aggressive. They go up, they trade up, they go get their guy. They got to, they have a few amount of picks, but they try to make them very impactful. And that's what they want to do. If you're Terry Fontenot, you can give yourself the ability to really do that, have that kind of flexibility over the next couple of years if you trade back here. And I'm talking about trading back from four to 12. 15, 19, I don't care. Trade, trade back with Washington to 19 if they're about to give you three first-round picks, three second-round picks for the next three years because then you've got all the ammo you want. You can navigate the draft however you want. And I think that that background with Arthur Smith and with Terry Fontenot I think is really important in terms of what they could target. Certainly a linebacker, corner's a big need, tight end's a possible need for him, safety. I mean, a lot of stuff on the defensive side. Edge rusher's probably their biggest if I'm, if I'm really yeah. being honest. But yeah. you can get all those things things in this defensive class later in the draft so trade back for Atlanta that's the best way to do it 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 dawned on me as we moved to New Orleans like Tom Brady at his age being the surest stablest thing in this division (laughs) is kind of I guess it's like it's expected at this point but it also is kind of funny like that's the place that you don't oh yeah he's there and he just signed a four-year deal and then like the rest of the division with with Matt Ryan being the closest thing to stability at the cap number is crazy the New Orleans is fascinating. Um, you know, we've talked about it, Trevor, Marcus, and I, of what we would do. And um, I, I'm just curious because to me, Taysom Hill over the course of a full season being a full-time guy just seems like a really bad idea. Yeah. And I'm not saying Jameis is a great idea, but I'm saying it, it, at surface value, it seems like a better idea. So I, I ask you the same. You Now I'm making you coach. What do you do in this <laughs> instance? And uh, which way are you going? I think, you know, you've got to be able to give Jameis Winston, I don't want to say the benefit of the doubt, but like the first crack at the actual QB one spot, because I think that that allows you to really continue to let Taysom Hill be more of an impact player. If you keep him at the quarterback spot, yeah, I guess the ball in his is in his hand every snap. And if you're comfortable with that, that's fine. I'm not like I, 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 I watched the guy try to throw it deep twice. And like, I don't want him doing that again. And the more tape you get on Taysom Hill, the more the less gadgety exactly. he becomes, yeah. the, the less yeah. surprising he becomes. And teams will basically just be like, shoot, we're going to play single high, not because maybe we want to do it, because there ain't a chance you're completing anything beyond 30 yards on us. And so all of that is just too limited, even for a guy like Sean Payton, who's very creative at what he does as an offensive mind, with Jameis Winston – we remember him from Tampa Bay. I mean, he was throwing it all over the yard. You know, and he had a lot of great receivers to do it, but he's fearless as a quarterback. And so, yeah, of course, you hope the turnovers are a little bit less than they were when he was going 30 for 30 with Tampa Bay in his last year as a starter. But I think that that's still your highest ceiling. You have got to play Jameis as your QB1 until he fails. And I think that that needs to be their strategy moving forward because that's going to be the only thing that allows them to compete the way they need to I believe for Tampa Bay, you've got to keep Taysom Hill as more of an offensive weapon as an X factor player as a high impact guy. 
and he could be valuable for you there. Maybe not as valuable as his contracts as he is, but you know, like he could be valuable in that way if he's not the full-time starting quarterback. And so I think that that's probably the case for the saints. They're really just riding it out because picking to the back end of the first round, there ain't going to be a quarterback there who's worth it. They're going to be able to start right away. Uh, Adam, all I know is I'm going to bet on Tampa Bay as soon as this podcast is over to win the division. You know, that's that's my biggest takeaway from this. Well, I guess, yeah. I'll, I'll, well, to tie a bow on this thing, Trevor, I mean, like, and, and I'll look, New Orleans is clearly the greatest threat. I mean, I think Carolina is kind of interesting if they do find a quarterback because of, of Brady and Rule. I, I'm a college guy, so I, I think there's excellence there and they could get mm-hmm. things going. But I feel like the Saints are entering this point of cap hell, Plus, I mean, the talent does not match the cap. Like, you look at what mm-hmm. the Bucs have tried to do and the players that they brought back, and I, you, I do not get that same vibe at all um, with New Orleans. Now, good coach, the calming force of Brady, which they don't have, obviously. Like, is this a team that is about to run into that wall? Because it, it, when you look it down, and we're talking about Jameis and Taysom Hill, and, look, I think Jameis could be okay, like, but that's what we're, we're left with. Like, is could this be the end of the saints run or is there going to be a reboot here in short order? Cause it feels like there might be. I don't, if there's a reboot in short order, then it's more cat manipulation and magic from the new Orleans saints. That's on the horizon. Because as of right now, you basically you're looking at the future and you're saying like, all right, like this window is pretty much closing and eventually yeah. you're going to have to pay on a lot of these contracts that you tried to pay it forward. Now I want to make this clear they did the right thing. When you have the quarterback, when you have the roster around you, when you draft, when you draft as well as they have, when you've got the, the players in the trenches, they went all in on their winning window. And over the last three seasons, 2017, 2018, 2019, maybe not as much 2020, but over that four-year span, the Saints had one of the best rosters in the NFL. They allowed themselves to compete and gave themselves a chance at a championship. They didn't win one but that doesn't mean it was the wrong decision. I just think that eventually, yeah, over the next couple of years, we're going to look at a very, very different Saints team. We knew that it would start whenever Drew Brees decided to hang him up. Now he has. Now we're going to see what the waterfall or the avalanche might be for the Saints. Uh, Trevor, really appreciate you joining us, man. I I think we'll obviously be doing it again. Uh, You you covered a team that obviously we're interested in. A lot of people are interested in. So tell us uh, what you've got going on leading up to the draft and and throughout what is uh, a really fun NFL offseason. Yeah. Oh, man. We've only got, shoot, what is it? five to six weeks until the draft, something like that. That's crazy that we're, that we're almost here. I feel like there's so much to talk about between now and then, and we'll be doing all the kinds of talking over at uh, thedraftnetwork.com if your listeners haven't seen it. We've got full prospect rankings. We've got updated team needs after free agency. We've even got a mock draft machine where, hey, if you look at my mock draft or Mel Kiver's mock draft or anybody's mock draft, you say, that guy's a bum. I can mock draft better than them. Do it. Go over to the mock draft machine and, and do it and, and learn something about the prospects too. we got all kinds of prospect profiles that everybody can see. So we're covering the draft as best we can. We're trying to give you guys as many tools and information as you can. Appreciate you guys having me on the podcast. I had a blast. Hopefully we can do it again. Awesome. Trevor Sycamore of the Draft Network. We will talk to you soon, man. Take care. Thanks, you too. Appreciate Trevor dropping by. Marcus, it's time for my favorite uh, segment now over the weeks because we got so much stuff to gamble on, man. The future. Now, um, did you bet basketball? Of course you did. Mm -hmm. And how did you do? Terrible, just like the rest of the country. But uh, some of these uh, sports books gave us some nice odds boosts on some of these games, including Oral Roberts, uh, which helped a little bit. But uh, for the most part, not a great weekend. 
I had a good couple of runs on Saturday. Um, I had a terrible run yesterday. Mm. My Iowa Hawkeyes were, were terrible. I didn't bet them. Uh, thank God. Yeah. But I watched them and that was embarrassing. Uh, it was fun though. I mean, brackets destroyed oh, all yeah. of those things. Uh, a lot of my I had Ohio state future bets that were destroyed. Uh, so it was a bit up and down. So uh, this week though, I mean, this is like, a, this is like a loaded week um, when it comes to sports adjusted the basketball uh, schedule a bit let's start with ufc mm-hmm. great card 260 we lost the co-main event uh to COVID, which uh stinks because that yeah. was going to be a really interesting yeah. fight but the main event we've got uh stipe versus inganyu do you have any thoughts here stipe really dominated him in the last fight but naganu has really really been better uh in his last couple fights it seems like he's the the up-and-comer up-and-coming fighter I, listen, I'm not going to bet on this one just because I want to watch, and I don't want to. I don't want to have any inter, uh, you know, rooting interest here. I, this might be the card that I'm most excited about because when you get two heavyweight stars, you know, like this at the at the peak of their powers, I think we're going to see fireworks on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I'm super excited for this card. I do kind of like Stipe. Um, He's the question is, right is now, he, right? Yeah, I, you, you get him like it's it like plus one hundred five yeah. somewhere around there. The problem is if he gets caught, I mean it's it's going to be it's done. Um, so so is he going to get caught? He's really smart. I mean this is a great this is a great heavyweight fight. Yes. This is super yes. interesting. Uh, Sean O'Malley comes back too, who was uh, just on fire before he had a really interesting mm-hmm. and kind of peculiar injury um, last time he fought. Uh, I love watching him fight. So another interesting uh, fight in there, even if we lost, uh, lost one of the fights. And then, Mark, so we've got, like, full stadiums. We've yeah. got Usman Masvidal, which will be fun, although I think Usman's probably going to die. Like, they've set up the cards um, really, really well oh, yeah. uh, through spring and summer. I think UFC is in a position to thrive. Um, we've got not just one bracket, but two brackets. So, you know in my ever-changing uh, search – for uh, value in golf, Corey Connors. I'm going to take a look at this week at plus 5,500. It's been kind of all over the place. Have you looked at the match play bracket? This is always one of my favorite tournaments in golf. It's kind of like the, the appetizer as we get closer to the Masters. I, I haven't because I've been looking at Masters odds. I think that's been something that's <laughs> been really interesting to me. Dustin Johnson right now is the favorite at 7-1 to one to win the Masters. Seems a little rich, but I, I don't mind it. I, my guy Brooks Kepka is sitting at sixteen to one. Bryson DeChambeau at ten to one, uh, and then Jordan Spieth I, I think is at least an interesting bet. He's sitting at fourteen to one. I'm really excited to have the Masters back in its normal time slot, right in the middle of April. Uh, so I, you, as you can tell, I'm getting a little excited about it. So uh, those are the only ones I'm weeks. looking at right now. But of course, golf will be on one of the TVs this weekend. And of course, basketball, um, you know, I, I was processing some of the first, I think there's some really interesting lines and, and getting just some of the lines uh, mm. going here. <clears throat> I think Syracuse plus six is a really interesting game. Um, I think when you look at just the way some of the, the way Cinderella's have performed and the way it kind of came crashing down yep. on Monday is really, really curious. So I'm curious, do you have any basketball games you like? I kind of like Oregon State plus the seven. Uh, that seems a little like I love the way Loyola is playing. Of course, they've made a blast to watch, but Oregon State has got yep. some incredible momentum. I think that's just going to be a really close, fun game. Pac-12, Marcus, we've been crapping all over them. I, at least I have in football and basketball and everything. And all of a sudden, look at this Pac-12 takeover. 
Yeah. The only other basketball take that I have is actually the, in the NBA. And <laughs> I bet a pretty large chunk of money on Joel Embiid to, to win the NBA, you know, the MVP, he gets hurt. So what do I do, Adam? I put that same amount of money down on LeBron James. Oh no. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm not going to bet on any more MVPs because I want these guys to stay healthy. Uh, but Jokic, interesting bet right now at about six, seven to one. So, I just, <laughs> so you don't want to, you don't want to mush him is what you're saying. You're going to leave him alone. I mean, somebody's uh, got to win this award. It's not going to be Embiid or LeBron. Yeah. So uh, there's some value out there right now. Yeah, we've got, I mean, we'll do a bunch of masters pro uh, like that, that betting coming up. We'll have a ton. Uh, we've got to talk draft uh, odds too here relatively soon. Yes, not to mention yes. all the other things that we have going. All right. So with that, a reminder, guys, um, you know, check the podcast out, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, share it. We really appreciate it. We've got a ton of really interesting content coming up. And also check out gameday.com to see what our affiliates have. So many different sporting events. We want to shop for those best lines. For Marcus Mosier, I am Adam Kramer. We will talk to you guys next week. Well, you might leave me.